Welcome to the Driving Change Podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network, where we live at the intersection of neuroscience and storytelling. If you love great stories and you love understanding the mindset it takes to be a world-class change agent, then join us as our fascinating guests from all walks of life unpack their unique journeys of perseverance and passion, of expertise and experience, and be inspired to use your own story to drive change. Welcome back to the Driving Change Podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. Um, You know, we do a lot of amazing episodes with amazing people and amazing guests. And every once in a while, I'm able to get a guest on the show who is so skilled at a very specific skill set that our clients frequently ask us for over and over and over again, that I get really excited because today's episode, we have not only a great human being, but an expert in the field of asking great questions. So if you're listening out there today, I know you have this thought, whether you're working in a job as an accountant or a salesperson or you're a leader or you're not a leader inside a specific role, you know, as a parent, as a coach, asking great questions is a much more effective way to build relationships. And today's guest, Bob Teedy, is that expert. Uh, Bob has been basically dedicated most of his life to helping leaders and people communicate more effectively through asking better questions in his book, Leading with Questions, the third edition is out and uh, in, for, as of April, and we're going we're gonna to dive into some of this today and get some of his expertise. Uh, Bob's background is one that's, uh, boy, he's like the, the, he's like the Forrest Gump of, of experiences here when it comes to his life story. Um, he's been on staff of Crew, which was family, uh, formerly, uh, for those who know it, Campus Crusade for Christ for 52 years. Um, he's been, he's been, uh, uh, from Campus Crusade, excuse me, from Campus Crusade, we'll just call it Crew. He then went on to be the CEO and helped run the Josh McDowell Ministry, which is the, the, the division of Crew. He's been 20 years on the U.S. leadership development team for them. And his whole idea of leading with questions, he created a blog around it, leadingwithquestions.com. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. It's in its 11th year as well, helping leaders all over the world, 190 different countries who follow that. He's written five very popular ebooks, which we'll point you to later as well, give you some free resources. And, and I'll just tell you that as somebody, this guy's been married to the same lady, Sherry, for 53 years. He's dedicated his life to people just like you listening on how to be better communicators and how to improve your relationships. That's a long lead in, but that's why I can tell I'm excited because to have an expert like Bob on our show, I'm going to be taking lots of notes and rewatching this many times. So Bob, welcome to the program. Jeff, I've been looking forward to this. I'm delighted to be your guest today. So we'll get into the book a little bit later. Um, My guests know, or our audience knows rather, that you get one question to start with, and they're really fascinated because they don't know who you are. They don't know where you've come from, and they don't really care what you can do for them until they understand they can trust you as a human being here. So take us back. Tell us that origin story of the little Bobby growing up, where you came from and who had those influences into you, those values that were developed early on and and the whole storyline that led you to the life of purpose that you've been able to to lead to this point. Well, Jeff, I grew up in the deep South, the Southern part of South Dakota. (laughs) And uh, my, my dad always said we were from the deep South. It was those North Dakota people that were from up North. Um, And, uh, but after uh, my dad's family, uh, four boys and a girl, 
And after World War II, my, my dad made the Normandy invasion. And, uh, but after World War II, he and two of his brothers all got married within six weeks of each other. The war was over. They were home safely. It was time to marry those girlfriends. And they all established family farms within five miles of each other. They all started having kids. My sister and I have 10 first cousins, very close to our same age. And uh, from the time I could begin to walk, I followed my dad around. Um, and uh, we owned our own farms, but we did a lot of things together, uh, hay work and harvest. And uh, one of the things I remember is, is almost from the time we could walk, I and my male cousins uh, were, you know, helping our dads. And our dads always called us men long before we were men. And, and also looking back, you know, there was no analysis when you're little of thinking, now, why are they doing this? Uh, another thing I remember is that they never, ever said dumb boys. And there must have been a lot of times we were dumb boys. You qualified, right? Yeah. <laughs> But they, they called us men, and, and I remember one time, I'm, I'm probably nine, and today they're going to harvest on our farm. And uh, my Uncle Harold drives in the big combine, stops in the, in the farmyard. I'm there, ready for this exciting day. He gets off, says, Robert, which field should we begin in? And I look around and say, well, Uncle Harold, I think we ought to begin in that field. I wish I could have a conversation. He's in heaven now to say, Uncle Harold, did I apt, did I accidentally pick the right one or did it might not make any difference? But the fact is you made a nine-year-old boy feel like he was the king because Uncle Harold said, that's a good decision, Robert. We will start there. And uh, so I grew up with just lots of affirmation, as, as did my other cousins. We all went to the same school. Uh, from 1st through 12th, we all went to the same church, same church as our grandparents. And Jeff, we just thought that was normal. I <laughs> uh, had no idea, but a very encouraging childhood. Let's put it that way. Uh, high school, I was a debater, a extemporaneous speaker, and um, then went off to the University of South Dakota my freshman year. And uh, Oh, several life-changing events happened while I was there. And, and the first one was I joined a fraternity, and a couple of weeks later, a group of fraternity men from Iowa State who were involved with crew uh, came and spoke at our fraternity house uh, on a Monday evening. And I remember three of them sharing how they'd come to faith in Christ at Iowa State. Uh, Jeff, I'd never heard anyone my own age ever share anything like that. And, and I was captured or captivated by their stories. The fourth one shared what was called the four spiritual laws and, and ended by saying, if you'd like to pray a prayer to invite Jesus into your heart, I will pray a prayer out loud. I invite you to pray along silently. And I did. And, uh, oh, Jeff, there's so many more things, but that, that started my, my journey with Christ. Uh, a year later, I met Sherry. She also became a follower of Christ through Campus Crusade for Christ, the name at that time. And in 71, we joined staff, uh, as you said, eight years in campus ministry, and then uh, came to Josh McDowell Ministry in 79. And uh, I actually wrote a, a little booklet, 62 Things I Learned from Josh, 
Uh, just an incredible experience. But now I've been on the U.S. leadership development team. And, and Jeff, you said so many nice things about me in terms of leading with questions. I always feel like, though, in honesty, transparency, I have to confess, and this is true. For most of my crew career, I was a benevolent dictator. <laughs> my only paradigm of leadership was that the job of a leader is to tell his or her staff what to do to give them direction. And I did say benevolent. I grew up in a home where I was taught to say please and thank you. So, Jeff, if you'd been on my team, I don't think I would have ever said, hey, Jeff, go do this. It had been more like, hey, Jeff, you know, here's what we're working on. It'd really be great if you could please do this. And right. when you did it, I would have said thank you. Um, and at a staff meeting, Jeff, stand up. You all need to hear what Jeff did. And, and I don't want to suggest we got nothing done, but I am confessing my only paradigm. I didn't know of another paradigm was that leaders need to give direction, but do it kindly. And for me, that changed in 2006 when I found this book. Literally, this is the one. <laughs> uh, the first edition of Leading with Questions by Dr. Michael Marquardt. And as I read this book, I mean, it's filled with stories, as is the new edition, the third one, but filled with stories of leaders literally from around the globe who are leading with questions and the questions they were asking. And as I read it, I only had one question. Why hasn't anyone ever shared this idea with me before? And uh, I embraced it. And... Uh, Oh, there's so much more to the story, but that's what led me later to start the blog, Leading with Questions. Uh, end up becoming friends with Dr. Marquart when he did the second edition. He, uh, We were already friends. But he said, Bob, would you do an endorsement? And could I list leadingwithquestions.com, your blog, as a recommended resource? It was like, well, of course. And, and Dr. Marquart, oh, brilliant man. Uh, professor at George Washington University up to just recently was the uh, sponsor for, I think, over 100 doctoral students who, who got their PhDs. And so when a year and a half ago, he calls and says, Bob, would you be willing to co-author the third edition? It was like, Mike, you got to be kidding. <laughs> of course. Wow. What an honor, and, right? Um, so, Jeff, that's some of the story. So it's fascinating, isn't it? Our life journey and how we learn as we go. And we're never done learning if you're paying a lick of attention. And what I found interesting and a little bit ironic about your story was you were exposed to these, these techniques at a young age from your uncles and your father. You just didn't know it. And whether they were doing it intentionally or intuitively, we, we've, we've, we find those people in our lives and we're drawn to them and we don't know why, but you know, the, the, your uncle Harold asking you that one single question that day on the farm opened up your mind to this idea that you were participating in the strategy, right? You weren't just executing. So let's, let's dive into that a little bit. And it doesn't matter. Well, I want to be clear with the, with those who are listening. So you don't tune out if you don't think you're a quote leader, everyone's a leader, because we're all leading some aspect of our lives, whether it's our own personal lives, our families, our children, our neighbors, our little league teams, or whether you have a formal title of leader inside your organization, we are all leaders. So let's get that out of the way. This is about communication effectiveness, period, and in, in this realm of leading with questions. So, so let's start, let's, let's jump into this thing, because one of my first questions that I'm curious about is, why don't 
we train this earlier on in schools at the young age, let alone in our academic institute. Why did you go most of your career as a benevolent dictator? And this was never taught to you. Why do you think that is? Jeff, I'm sure there, there's many reasons. But, you know, I think of, I read this recently, the average kindergarten student asks something like 200 to 300 questions a day. The average college graduate asks 20. And, and I just kind of pictured, you know, here's little Johnny or, or here's little Debbie in kindergarten, and they're asking questions. And, and the teacher, uh, again, well-intentioned, but from time to time says, Debbie, Johnny, it's my job to ask the questions. It's your job to answer the questions. And that gets reinforced over the next 16 years that the job of a teacher is to ask the questions. Your job is to answer them. And so over time, Johnny and Debbie quit asking. They, they make the paradigm shift. And so when they become a leader or even let's say Debbie becomes a teacher, she does what was modeled and continues it, even though I'm saying it, uh, there's hardly a teacher alive that doesn't care about their students, doesn't want what's best for them. And so they're following conventional wisdom, not, not doing it out of evil intention. But the moment a leader, teacher, parent can see, like, Jeff, I'm just thinking one mother recently shared, as you said, everyone's a leader, but she just shared, you know, she said every day my daughter came home from school and I would ask her, honey, how was school today? And she said, at best, I'd get one word. Fine. Good, boring, okay. And then she thought one day, okay, it's not her problem. It's my problem. I've got to find a better question. And so she thought, and she thought, okay, today, when she comes home, I'm going to ask a different question. So daughter comes home, rather than saying, how was school today? She said, honey, tell me about your day. And she said, at first, I didn't know if she heard me because she was quiet for quite a while. But when she began to speak, she went on for five to 10 minutes telling me all about her day. And uh, just an example there of, a better question than, um, you know, so often we ask what are closed questions that only require a one word answer, but just changing it. And, uh, you know, I shared that example because all of us, again, as you said, we're all leaders, but all of us would like to be better communicators with our, our family, our friends. So what I love about this topic in general is and why we, we're, we're so neurotic, if you will, about the neuroscience behind all this is you, you struck a chord in me there is, you know, we talk a lot about back in the 60s, Dr. Land did a study for NASA where they wanted to just discover why some astronauts were amazing problem solvers. And it was great. He created this PhD researcher, created a great assessment. And they liked it so much, they gave it to 1,600 four and five-year-olds to see how well they did on this creative problem solving assessment. And 98, to their surprise, 98% of them scored at the top. <laughs> so they followed them every five years to see how they did over time. And, and every five years, it went down. It went from 98 into the 30s, into the teens, and then ultimately as adults, only 2% of them did. And I think that they discovered what you discovered is we built our education system around on the back of the Industrial Revolution to train people to be factory workers. So we told them what to do. You 
digest the information. You pass the test, check the box, move on to the next grade or move on to the next assignment by just following orders kind of militarily in some regards. So what he found was, I'm curious what your thoughts are on this, that we are all born divergent thinkers, but our society and our culture and our education system convergently trains and teaches us. And it basically takes the creativity out of us by the time we're adults. And I think the same thing applies to the way we are, the way we've been taught to ask questions, correct? Well, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, Jeff, my, my own story, as I shared, I, I just didn't have the paradigm, but here's something I hope encourages all the listeners. It's like, um, you know, there's that one picture that they use for a paradigm shift where it shows a a beautiful lady, or if you look at it again, a bent over old woman. And when you first look at it, you may only see one or the other. And somebody has to point out the other image, and then it's like, how did I miss it? And I found that once I was introduced to leading with questions, it was kind of like, wow, how did I miss it? But I began to see how much more effective it was. Um, you know, one quote I like is telling creates resistance, but asking creates relationships. When we ask our staff, when we ask our friends, our family, hey, what do you, what do you think we might do here? Suddenly it's, it invites, it also as a leader, when you ask your staff, hey, what do you think we might do? It communicates to them uh, without you saying it, the action of asking communicates, wow, my leader values me. My leader thinks I have something to offer. And, and that builds a relationship. And, and of course, as a leader, when you ask the whole team, hey, what do you think we might do? there's a huge probability that you're going to hear ideas better than what you thought. In other words, you've, you've multiplied the, the, from one brain to everybody around the conference table now giving input. And so the probability of better ideas comes. And, and then, Jeff, I mean, another thing is, is when the boss says, wow, Jeff, love your idea. W- would you be willing to execute uh, that idea for our team? It's like, Wow. Well, sure. <laughs> and, and you're all in because whose idea is it? Right. They have, there's ownership now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd love to, and I want the audience to start to do a little bit of, uh, of self-reflection right now on this. Because I think back to my childhood, and similarly, I grew up on a farm, and when my papa was still alive, you know, he was very much like your dad's, your uncle's, storyteller, mentor, taught me how to drive when I was five, standing between his knees on our tractor, you know, that kind of thing. My dad, on the other hand, was a a Marine, Vietnam vet, post-traumatic stress syndrome. So he was a teller. And that's just the way it was. And he wasn't big on affirmation. So I found myself in my teen years after my papal had passed away, trying to prove myself continually, prove, 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 prove academically through sports, athletics, all of that. So what I realized now is, and I'm curious if people are listening to this and might have a similar experience is that got, that became my conscious, my, my unconscious competence was I needed to prove I knew the answer. I needed to prove that I was good enough. I need to prove that I was competent enough. So as it translated into my business world, I was constantly trying to be the guy with the idea as opposed to the leader who were, was asking for others' input. And I wasn't a very good manager and leader because of that. And so I, I, I say that's the setup to ask you this question. 
as you've coached a lot of folks over the years and you've led a lot of leaders over the years, for, outside of just being taught how to ask questions, what's some of the psychological roadblocks or barriers that people tend to face that translate their style into telling instead of asking? Well, Jeff, I, I think one of them, you, you've kind of mentioned it, but is the uh, the paradigm that I'm the leader and I need to have all the answers. And, and that's certainly how I thought. And, and Jeff, what is a leader tempted to do when they're asked a question and they don't know the answer? Give one anyway. <laughs> yeah, make one up on the spot. And, and, and I know I did that. And, uh, you know, my staff were kind. None of them ever stood up and said, I think you just made that up. But I'm betting some of them were thinking, I don't think Bob knew. I think he just made that up. Right. And uh, I, I look at that paradigm now and I say, you know, um, that that's really a, a leader who is, is unsure of themselves that has to give an answer. The, the leader who's confident kind of in their own skin, comfortable in their own skin, really doesn't have any problem saying, wow, Jeff, that's a fantastic question. I, I don't know the answer. What, what do you think the answer might be? And then maybe Jeff, the staff member says, well, Bob, I don't know the answer. That's why I came to you. Well, Jeff, that is a fantastic question. As I said, I don't know the answer. Where could we find the answer? And, and, and Jeff says, well, Bob, Joe might know, or I could do a Google search or, you know, whatever. Wow, Jeff, would you do that? And, and when you get that answer, come back, because I want to know that answer too. Well, there's so many things with that response. First of all, I'm now ready for any question because I no longer have the burden of having to have all the answers. Guess what? No leader has all the answers. Right. Also, when a leader admits I don't have the answer, he or she becomes more relatable to their staff. It's like real. Also, when a leader does share an answer, it's like, well, I can trust him or her because she's or he's willing to admit when they don't. And, uh, and yet you're affirming the question that it's a great question. Um, but, but I think it's that burden that we feel like, man, as a leader, I've got to have the answer. And yet when we make the paradigm shift, we, it's actually, wow, I can relax and, you know, it's counterintuitive, but when I say, hey, I don't know, how could we find out? My credibility actually goes up versus thinking I'll be credible by making up an answer. Right. And I think the lie that we've unconsciously bought into, especially in the business community, is, well, if, the, if my boss is observing me and I don't seem to ever know the answer, then I'll never get promoted. And, and so, so part of that, that lie is, 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 is pervasive in cultures today is how we evaluate leaders and their communication style. We don't have great metrics for, you know, rarely do you see in a list of competencies in an HR directory, the leader creates a community of creativity. Well, that's not a, con well, what, how do you measure that? Well, because they're amazing at asking great questions. Oh, well, imagine if that would start to happen, right? So I want to ask you about some real specific things here on this, because this is your expertise in this area. One of the things we try to teach our clients is how to think about their questions ahead of time and start to learn how to develop uh, the, the better questions. And we have a little formula, we call it M plus S plus T equals I. So the motivation plus the structure of the question, 
plus your tone equals the impact. And so motivation, and this is what I'm going to ask you some questions off of each of these letters, because this is kind of aligns perfectly to how you guys, you talk about it in your book as well. So we talk a lot about whose agenda are you on? And we ask our clients all the time, when you're about to go into a meeting, whether it's internal and you're coaching someone or external and you're meeting with a customer or client, the first question is, whose agenda are you on? And so when, when you think about how you coach people and the, the conversations you've had with them over, over the years of doing this, do you find there's a consist when you have a teller versus an asker, do you find there's a consistency of they're on their kind of their own agenda and their own to-do list versus having the ability to see themselves on the other person's agenda before they've ever made the comment or asked the question? Yeah, I mean, absolutely, Jeff. And, and even their questions, they might even think, well, I use questions. And it's like, hey, Jeff, when can you get this done for me? <laughs> right. Well, it's a question. <laughs> or why haven't you gotten that done yet, right? <laughs> yeah, why, why isn't it done yet? Um, or, uh, you know, don't the leading question, well, don't you think that if you did this, that would be the best way, uh, you know, kind of thing. And, and again, it's, it's, it's an unconscious thing, but from the paradigm of being a teller, even when you ask, you're on your own agenda and, uh, the paradigm shift of seeing, wait a minute, if I help the people around me be more productive I help them grow. Uh, that actually is going to result in being good for all of us, you know, kind of thing. I'm getting everybody's oars in the water. I mean, a, a silly question I ask is if you were in uh, a rowboat with your entire team, there was oars for everyone. You want to get that rowboat across the lake as quick as possible. How many of them would you like to have row with you? Well, of course, all of them. And then I say, well, now imagine that same team around your conference table. There's an opportunity on the table. If you're a leader who thinks your job is to figure out how to take advantage of the opportunity and their job then is to do what you tell them, how many mental oars are in the water trying to figure out the way forward? Only one, yours. But the leader who leans forward and says, hey, gang, what do you all think we might do? Now the possibilities, you got all the oars in the water. And as I said earlier, in probability, you're going to hear some ideas better than yours, only because there's more ideas on the table. You still get to decide you're the leader. But now when you, you've got involvement, involvement breeds commitment. And uh, the team then begins to own the decision. It's their decision. It's our decision versus a leader who's just telling us what to do, like you said, in the traditional paradigm of the factory worker. Well, let's do the, the next step, because I think that's where you're, <clears throat> well, I really loved about what you guys did in the book, you, know, you and Michael both on this is, so the S is structure. Uh, one of the things that I still struggle with, and I admit this to my team all the time, is I, I'm trying so hard to ask better questions. And my instinct is sometimes the way that I structure the question doesn't come across the best way to elicit the best response. And, and one of the things you mentioned in the book is some questions will elicit a reaction versus creativity. And how do you recommend structuring questions? So what's a good structured question? I know there's different environments and different, 
uh, categories, but what, in general speaking, do you have like a strategy you say, hey, when you think about structuring a question, here's the way you structure a really good question that elicits openness and creativity versus a, versus a type of question that tends to, to elicit you know, sh- reaction or emotion that shuts people down? Well, I'm immediately thinking there, there's more, there's many more examples, Jeff, but um, I no longer ask staff or people, why did you do that? Because I find when you ask the, when you ask the why question, it always creates defensiveness. And so instead, and, and Jeff, with your expertise in, in, in brain science, you might know why this is. There's a lot of things I know just work better. I'm not sure of, you know, all the background. Right. But what's really interesting is if I ask what or how, instead of, hey, why'd you do that? Hey, Jeff, what caused you to make that decision? Jeff, how'd you come to that conclusion? Something about how and what doesn't create the defensiveness of why, Jeff, did you make that decision? And, and so I've substituted what and how. Now, there are some places to use why. There, there's, we've learned from the Japanese uh, asking why five times to get to the root of the issue. But I'm not asking why did you do it? Here's a situation. We say now, why did that happen? And we uncover something. Well, why does that happen? And we, by asking five, we actually get to the bottom. And then another interesting thing is, Jeff, I can ask you why something else happened. Or I can even ask you, hey, Jeff, why do you think George did that? (laughs) Right. But I don't ask Jeff, Jeff, why did you do that? that? That's an example of a better question. Um, another thing, um, you know, whenever I speak, I I ask the audience who here would like to learn to lead with questions in 30 seconds. Well, every hand goes up. And, uh, and I say, the reason I ask is so many people imagine they'll have to get a master's degree in questionology. It's, you know, like nice idea, but if that's what's required, I'm never going to be able to lead with questions. And so I invite one of the audience up and I say, I picked you because I think you have a photographic memory. You only have to hear my four favorite questions once and, and you'll have them memorized. And I've got a second hand on my watch. So, hey, Jeff, why don't you and I try this? Um, Let's do it. Jeff, the clock will start when I say, here's my first question. After I've shared all four, I'm going to say, do you have a memorized? And if you say yes, I'm going to say share them. And if you successfully share all four, the clock ends when you're done with the four. So here we go. I'm ready. My first favorite question is, what do you think? Second, what else? Third, what else? Fourth, what else? Jeff, do you have a memorized? I think I do. Share them. What do you think? What do you think, Bob? What else? What else and what else? Oh, my goodness. 18 seconds. And, uh, and, I, and, I, and I drug my feet a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, some listeners, I'm sure, are skeptical. Like, Bob, you can't ask somebody, hey, what do you think? What else? What else? What else? And I say, well, not in that rapid fashion, but it's a conversation. And, of course, you're going to have a topic for what do you think? Hey, what do you think, Jeff, we ought to do about this opportunity or this situation or this challenge or this issue with this particular client? And you're going to give me an answer. Now, before I understood this, Jeff, once you'd answered, 
I moved on. I've asked, Jeff answered. Well, what I didn't understand, again, you may, you know, with all the brain science, understand this much better than me, is that first response, we tend to roll out a safe answer to see how the, the person who asked us treats it. And so, Jeff, if I asked you, hey, what do you think about, and you gave me an answer, I said, well, Jeff, that's stupid. Everyone knows that. You're sorry you answered. I'm not going to get nothing more. In fact, next time I ask another question, I'll probably get nothing. But when I say, wow, Jeff, that's, that's good. What else? Well, you'll give me more. And at some point, you'll pause again. Instead of moving on, I might grab a pen and say, hey, Jeff, I've got to take notes. This is so good. Please continue. What else? And what I've discovered is actually the third and fourth question that gets to their gold nugget. You know, we've all heard the story of the proverbial gold miner who mined for gold all his life looking for the gold vein. Finally stops. Later, somebody came along and discovered the old miner was within six inches of the gold vein when he quit. Well, we're not looking for the gold vein, but we're looking for the gold nugget. And if you only ask, hey, what do you think? And then move on. You get close. You got to dig a little deeper to get to the gold nugget. And, um, oh, there's a quote by Henry David Thoreau that said, the greatest compliment ever paid me was when one asked me what I thought and attended to my answer. Uh, That's great. And, you know, the promise of this question was, who would like to learn to lead with questions in 30 seconds? And, and Jeff, I've already shared, I'm a farm boy. You got to keep it simple for me. And uh, as I said, so many of the best questions are so simple. Uh, and that one I use over and over and over. Uh, another question I love, in fact, Jeff, I use this question frequently when I'm asked a question. And, and uh, that question is, can you please tell me more? What I've discovered is even when I'm asked a question, so often, you know, I heard the question, and I give an answer. And most people are so polite, they don't actually say, well, Bob, that wasn't my question. They say, oh, thank you. And then they ask another question and you realize they've just reworded the first question. And so whenever I'm asked, I frequently will say, can you please tell me more? And they always do. And it allows you then to really understand what the question is. It buys you time to answer or perhaps to ask them a question to help them discover the answer. And I think what you're getting at, and with both of those scenarios, and what I love about them both is you're maintaining, you're staying on that other person's agenda longer. And, and when I ask you, so what do you think about X? What do you think about AI's impact on clerical jobs moving forward in the future? And then you're going to answer, and then you're going to go, well, that's interesting. T tell, me, tell me more. Yeah. And, and, the, and the, right now, what I've done is I've resisted the urge to give you my opinion. Because the minute I give you my opinion, I've shut down all dialogue around creativity, around your opinion, because now your brain is trying to process, do you need to one-up me? Do you need to disagree with me? Or are you going to shut down and resist because you don't really want it? Because it just it changes the whole psychological dynamic of that engagement. 
because uh, of self-preservation, right? And the second question that you ask there, on the, that, that, that part of it also elicits, I'm on your agenda. So I want to make sure I understand more about where you're coming from. And I, I, what I hear, heard you saying that I love is it serves two purposes. One, it enhances your own understanding. Two, it allows you, because a lot of times people will ask questions that have limited information on their agenda that they're actually trying to trip you up on. And it allows you to dig into the deeper, why are you really at? What is your motivation behind asking me this question? So it actually serves two purposes there. That's very good. Uh, great. Okay. Uh, what else? Let's go. I mean, let's keep going. This is, uh, what else do you think, Bob? <laughs> Tell me more. Jeff, uh, another set of four questions that have become my favorite. I got these from a consultant who's, who said he made a handsome six-figure income by only asking four questions. And he said, uh, you know, they don't bring me in because I'm a subject matter expert. He said on, uh, he said on day one, I, I could consult with the head of an airline company and day two, the head of a pharmaceutical company, day three, the head of a computer software company. I'd ask the same four questions. He said, Bob, might you be curious to know what the questions are? I said, absolutely. Can I write them down? He said, I'd be disappointed if you didn't. And here was his four questions. The first one is, what's going well? Second, what's not? Third, where are you stuck? Fourth, what needs to change? And he then said, now, Bob, don't miss the first question. He said, if I'm consulting with a new leader and I walked in at 8 a.m. and I started with the second question, what's not going well? He said, I wouldn't get an honest answer. He said, no one at 8 a.m. meeting somebody they've never met before wants to get naked and confess, yeah, we're a bunch of losers here. <laughs> so he said, I right. start with question one, what's going well? Now, he has a whole bunch of what else's. How'd you figure that out? And by the time he said, well, I'm done with question one, they're thinking that I'm thinking they're the most brilliant leader I've ever spent time with. He said, that then sets the stage to ask that second question. Now I will actually get an honest answer because they're not feeling like they're confessing we're a bunch of losers. They're feeling like, you know, using baseball, in spite of all the home runs, all the games won, all the runs batted in. Yeah, we've had a few errors. We've lost some. We've lost some games. And you actually hear the truth. And then he said, notice question three and four. Where are you stuck? What needs to change? He said, who actually solves their problem? <laughs> they do. They have to solve their own ultimately, right? And at the end of the day, he said, they write me that big check and they call me a brilliant consultant. <laughs> well, Jeff, I was on Tom Ziegler's podcast and and uh, I shared this these four questions and Tom said, you'd be able to add to this, Jeff. Tom said, Bob, I'm a bit of a brain science nerd. Can I tell you why that first question is so good? I said, Tom, it's your podcast. Of course you can share. <laughs> He said, well, when the brain is processing positive things, positive endorphins are firing. He said, that is the perfect place in which to solve problems. He said, the leader who walks in and, and starts with, we got a problem and makes the staff feel like the leader thinks we're a bunch of losers here. He said, that is not an ideal mental state in which to solve problems. So he said, I absolutely love that this guy recommends starting with the positive. Yeah, not only is it not an ideal state, it's it's nearly 
physiologically impossible when you've activated your self-preservation, which is negativity. It's really coming from a place of fear, which we know, you know, the enemy loves that, that place, that voice is it literally shuts down the create, you know, the creative parts of the brain that are open to ideation and divergent thinking. So, um, Tom's been on this show as well. And so I know he's a brilliant (laughs) guy and obviously we love him and his, most of us followed his father for years. So that, that's fantastic. Well, I feel like, you know, Good grief, almost an hour's gone by already, and we have just broached the subject, uh, barely, barely scratched the surface of this. And I will tell the audience, leading with questions, this third edition is phenomenal. If you have any desire whatsoever to become a better communicator in any area of your life, think about the examples that, that Bob just gave. And now I want you to think about how you might translate those to the dinner table and the way you talk to your kids when they come home from school. Translate that to the soccer field when you're coaching your kids. Translate that, and not just in the workplace, but 360. How would you translate these concepts? And what I love about this book, Leading with Questions Personally, uh, Bob, is that it's not, it's not a theoretical textbook. It's like a, it's like a field manual. Yes. Um, and, and that's what I love about it. So if you haven't gotten it out there, go get it right now and there's a lot of places that Bob can give you resources from his free eBooks to where you can get this book. Um, he's going to point us in those directions, but what other questions did I not ask you today that would have been helpful for the audience? Well, the one I'm thinking of is ask me how everyone in the audience could get a complimentary signed copy of leading with questions, the third edition. So, so Bob, how could the audience today get a, a free, complimentary, signed copy of Leading with Questions? Jeff, that's a fabulous question. Thanks for asking. Um, they could join the book ambassador team for Leading with Questions. And uh, if they go to my blog, leadingwithquestions.com, up on top, you'll see the word contact. Click on that. And just share your email address. And all you have to say is, Bob, send me the information on being a book ambassador. And I will send you that information. Uh, Requesting information won't obligate you. You can look at the information. Basically, what we're asking is for book ambassadors to have a picture taken holding the book, then post that picture on social media with a link to Amazon. Uh, to do an Amazon review, to send an email out to their list, uh, again, sharing their picture, encouraging people. And if they'll do that in appreciation, we will send them a signed complimentary copy. But go to leadingwithquestions.com, click on contact, send me your email, and just say, send me the book ambassador information. And uh, then you can make a decision when you see that. That's fantastic. Thank you. What else? What else? See how I'm, I'm a quick learner. See what else? <laughs> Jeff, my blog is now in its 11th year. It's followed by leaders in 190 plus countries. Subscribing is free. And so I invite all listeners go to leadingwithquestions.com. Cursor down to the bottom right, you'll see a place to enter your email address and then click on subscribe. And then every Monday and Thursday, I'll be delighted to put into your inbox the latest leading with questions post, but every post is designed to provide leaders with what I call turnkey ready questions that they can turn around to ask staff, clients, uh, friends, family, and all designed to help you become a better leading with question leader. So I invite you to subscribe. 
The third thing is if you click on books, Jeff's mentioned that I have free ebooks. Here are two of them. Great Leaders Ask Questions. Now that's a great question. They're actually available in multiple languages as free ebooks. But again, go to leadingwithquestions.com. One of the things on top is books. Click on books and you'll have access to downloading the free ebooks. Well, uh, Bob, I knew having you on was going to be uh, just chock full of great gold nuggets, as you said earlier, but I, I, I was not disappointed. I'm sure the audience wasn't disappointed as well. Uh, those listening, you know the resources there. Bob's offered the free book. I, I strongly encourage you to take him up on this. I mean, this is something that we look at here at Brain Trust. We teach communication effectiveness, and this is the, the backbone of how to be an effective communicator. Uh, it, this was truly an honor. And, and those of you who were, it's Bob, it's pronounced TD, but it's, pr- it's spelled T-E-I-D-E as well. So if you're just looking him up as a speaker and an author, you'll find him under Bob T-E-I-D-E. But go to leading with, quite, please go ahead. T-I-E-D-E. Oh, I said it wrong. Sorry. T-I-E-D-E. <laughs> Thank you. T-I-E-D-E. Bob T-D. Pronounced T-D, spelled T-I-E-D-E. Thank you for that correction. Um, and we'd love to have you back on again sometime if you're willing, because this was phenomenal. I feel like we just got into chapter one, basically. <laughs> well, thank you. Jeff, it was my privilege. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I offer you some feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.